Good morning, everyone. Why don't you go ahead and stand and join with us? We're going to start off with some singing. We're going to praise our Lord this morning. Chain, oh God, 
more time and spend it in worship, but I just want to read you a scripture real quick. This week uh, at our Wednesday night group, that if you didn't show up for, you missed out, but that's okay. Uh, we started talking about the importance of your why. Why we're here, why do you do this? Not, and not just like your, your why for like why you showed up this morning, you know, out of obligation or, or desperation even, but because we believe that God wants to do a new thing. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do an incredible work in the Antelope Valley, with all of my heart. And I believe that God is, our God is a God who wants to, to bring renewal, restoration, who wants to bring change. Uh, some call it revival. At our group, we, we watched um, firsthand accounts as people talked about uh, revival that took place uh, back in the 50s. And one of the things that they said that I thought was so interesting is they said it was, it was as if suddenly people were released of their embarrassment. People were suddenly not embarrassed to worship God. I thought that's so interesting. Isn't that interesting that we get embarrassed to actually participate in worship? What a loss for us. Scripture says it this way in Habakkuk 3.2. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I love this. It says, I stand in awe of your deeds. This morning, we worship not just because of things that we need God to do, but we worship because things have already been done. Things are handled. So as we sing this morning, can we sing from a place of victory? Maybe you got things you need to bring before him, but there is also, the wind is there. So let us sing this morning from this posture. Let's pray. Because I believe that God, it starts right here, right now in our hearts as individuals. Not collectively, but as individuals. When we decide that we are no longer satisfied with less than. For, for mediocrity, for sitting through service and not really getting anything out of it. The moment we decide we are going to engage, connect, participate. Is the moment that I believe God wants to so badly step down and connect with you. He is not the one holding out, y'all. So if this is your morning, let's pray and just invite God into it. Maybe you need restoration in something specific, renewal. Let's bring that before him and let's just begin to believe for God to, to move this morning. God, we just lift up your name. We lift up our needs. Oh, Father, that you would put a new craving in our hearts for something more, for something new, for renewal, for restoration, for revival, for, for new life in our own hearts first, and then that it would spread across this city, across this nation. God, I pray that it would start with our standing in awe, that as we worship, we would be unembarrassed, that our, the way we sing would be an indication of our heart's desire to love you well. Have your way in this place, Jesus, we pray in your name.
grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding Of how I've been set free There is a cross that bears no burden Another died for me There is another in the fire to my sin anymore And should I fall in the space between where remains of me and this reckoning Either way I won't bow to the things of this world Church, we're going to sing this from our souls this morning. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. Come on. So come what may in the space between all the things unseen and the threatening. I know I will never be.
that is where you'll be. Don't the joy come every battle. Cause I know that it's where you'll be. Don't the joy come every battle. Cause I know that it's where you'll be. Well, good morning, good morning, Journey. I'll grab a seat. My name is Randall. I'm a guy with a microphone that gets to stand up here. I'm delivering our uh, tithe and giving message this morning. Uh, if you haven't met my wife before, you'll get to meet her in a little bit. She's going to join me for announcements, but she does really sweet things for me, like sign me up for half marathons when I haven't run in two years. It's going to be awesome. Um, but the thing about half marathons, right? If the goal is to finish a half marathon, I can't just go out and run it tomorrow. Uh, the hard part is actually getting out and running the first mile tomorrow. I've got to be able to run that first mile so that I can run, run the second mile, and then the third mile, and the fourth, and fifth, and we'll just stop there. We won't go to 13. But if I don't get out and run that first mile, I'm never going to be able to finish the full race, right? And I think about this when it comes to financial goals. You know, most people, when you talk to them about financial goals, their goal is not, I want to hoard as much money as possible, and I want to stuff bills under my bed, and I don't want to spend it on anything, right? Most of us, our goals, we want to take care of our families. We want to be able to be generous with our friends. We want to be able to give to the charities we believe in. But if that's the goal, if that's, if that's the 13-mile mark out there, what are we doing today in our financial lives that would be the equivalent of running that first mile? What small financial step are you doing that's going to prepare you to be able to give consistently over a long period of time? Because running a half marathon, the, the benefit of it is not when you cross the finish line, right? The benefit is all the training that goes into it leading up to the race. And that's exactly how our financial lives are. The benefit is not the dollar amount we ultimately give to the church. The benefit is choosing consistently over a long period of time that my life is not centered on dollars, it's not centered on money, but it's centered on Christ and it's centered with God. And I'm going to make decisions that are indicative of that. And so today, as you're thinking about giving, we have multiple ways that you can give. You can give in person here in just a moment. The ushers are going to be coming forward. You can also give online at our website, avjourney.com, or you can text a number, 661-441-3511. You can give via a mobile, um, your mobile device. But as you think about giving, I would challenge you, think about what step are you in, what mile are you in in your personal life, your walk with Jesus, that shows I'm not putting my faith in money, but I'm putting my faith in God. So ushers, come forward. We'll say a quick blessing. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the change in weather. And thank you for uh, allowing us all to be here in community the way you designed us to be, with each other, learning more about you. I just ask today that you would put your hand on those hearts that are maybe struggling with financial decisions. Maybe they're, they're, they want to take that step, but they're thinking about the bills and the responsibilities and everything that they have in their lives. I ask that you would reassure them and remind them of your presence, that they would be confident in, in your ability to bless their lives. I would also ask that you would bless the church leadership, that they would use the gifts that are given today, use them wisely and to have impact, because our goal 
is that we bring your light into this valley. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as my wife joins me up here on stage, fifth and sixth graders, if you are here, you are dismissed. You can head out the main doors to the lobby and meet up with your group leaders. And we're going to share some announcements today. Yep, absolutely. Good morning. My name is Ashley. And whether you are here in person or watching online, um, welcome or welcome back. If you are here in the building, we have a few resources we want to make sure you're aware of. Um, first off is the hotspot. You're going to hear us reference this throughout the announcements. It's just out here and to the right in the lobby. If you have any questions after service, that's definitely where you'll want to head. And if this is your first time at Journey, welcome. We would love to meet you at the hotspot after service. We also have a small gift for you. Um, if you're here with a little one that gets a bit fussy and you're looking for some space today, we have a room in the back of the auditorium specifically for you. Uh, it's got a really comfortable couch. You're still going to be able to see and hear the message. It'll just afford you a bit of privacy if you find yourself wanting that today. Yeah, and we've only got a couple announcements for you today. We do have our Wednesday night meeting again. So this is our Connect event. It is the first Wednesday of October, so it's going to be like a traditional Connect event. So a chance to get to know some people that you're sitting around in church with. And also, the taco truck will be there. So if you want to eat dinner with us, recommend showing up about 6 o'clock in order to be able to eat. It's a night for the whole family, though. So if you have little ones, we're going to have uh, child care provided by our J-Kids team. If you have middle school or high schoolers, the crash is going to be happening at the same time. So bring the whole family out. We hope that you'll join us this Wednesday at 6 or 6.30, depending on if you're eating with us. Now that October is finally here, that means that it's time for the women's retreat. So that's going to be this upcoming weekend, starting on the 4th. The ladies are going to be heading out to Lake Hughes. Um, if you have signed up but not yet put your deposit in, please do so today at the hotspot. Um, if you haven't signed up yet but would like to, we still have some space so we can get you registered. And then lastly, if you'd like to go but are concerned about the financial component, we would love to work with you. So please make sure that you're stopping by the hotspot for any of those scenarios. Also, if you'd like to see announcements like this in email form, you can sign up for our newsletter. That comes out once a month. It's a really great way to see kind of a snapshot of what's coming up for the church. And you can do that on the website or here in person today. And that is all we have for you today. So stand up, say hello to somebody around you, and we'll get ready for today's message. Thank you. Have a seat. Good morning. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here, and it sounds like we got a few folks who are woke this morning. Well done. I mean, I love the energy. I love our band, our worship team, and we got so many great, amazing volunteers that just give so much of themselves and the energy that that creates. But man, I just feel sorry for for folks who like 
don't feel like they can enjoy themselves in church because it's really one of those experiences where, I don't know, God made the big world and it's like he gave us this to enjoy and to live fully in. And it's like we can do this at a baseball game, we can do this at a sporting event, but we, you know, we can't really get excited about anything in church. So I'm so glad Journey isn't like that. Feel free. Get excited. Right now, even. I mean, just... We're in a series. We're talking about the way. And the concept is this, that Jesus didn't come to give us a religion. He didn't come to give us an alternative view or a way to get to God as opposed to some of the other ways. We find that Jesus actually came to give us the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he was excluding all of the chances that you could experience the life God intended without going through him. Because there's no other way to the Father, he said, except through me. Jesus was saying, God made you and designed you as an image bearer of the Almighty. And he made you to have life and life to the fullest. But you're not going to experience that if you take any other path. But there is a way, and the way is Jesus, and the way is through Jesus. But not only that, you enter life in that, but then you learn how to live life to the fullest by walking in the way, in his way. And basically, this joyful life comes only through constantly keeping God before us. As we learned last week, there's a couple ways that we can practice as followers of Jesus this life to the fullest. It's going to change you. If you do this, if you learn how to follow the way, it's going to change a fear-filled heart to a courageous, bold heart. It'll change a greedy, selfish person into a generous, loving person. It'll, it'll change a hard person into a caring, soft. It'll, it'll change us. It'll change the joyless, frustrated, angry heart into a joy-filled celebration heart. No matter what the circumstances, you can learn to live like this. Paul said this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And his, basically his discovery goes on to say is that I've learned whether I have a lot or whether I have little, whether I have much or I have nothing. I've learned the reality is this, no matter what is happening to me in my world, it surrounds me, what happens to me experientially. God is with me every single second of every single day. That's how he and Silas could be beaten in one moment, thrown in prison, and by midnight they're still singing worship to God because it's not about what's going on around me. It's the fact that God is actually with me. And so we talked about that this experience this practicing the way, first and foremost, is about learning to live in the presence of God all the time, 24 hours a day. It's, it's this idea that in whatever place, whatever experience we are physically, it's learning to live two places at once. I'm here in Journey Church's auditorium, but at the same time, I'm with the Father. Or I'm in this commuting traffic, but at the same time, I'm with the Father. I'm with the most annoying children you'd ever want to assemble in a classroom and try to teach, but I'm also with the Father. I'm getting yelled at by my boss, and I'm with the Father. That we learn that, that from Brother Lawrence and Paul and others that there's this way of living in the world, no matter what's going on around you, that you can have a sense that all is well. This is something I've been learning again since my illness. I come, I've come to a place where I'm literally, and especially since I've been really reading a lot of the great spiritual fathers, a lot of from Dallas Willard and others, 
this mindset that I am actually not living just a religious life. I'm living a life that God intended in the fullness of life. And when I quit trying to be everything and do everything and just learn to live in the joy of who God made me to be, the responsibilities I have, I do them to my best, and then I just turn it over to God. John Ortberg was a friend of Dallas Willard. He was mentored by Dallas Willard. And as one time, uh, Dallas came to speak at John's church. And as they were leaving, you know, Dallas Willard had just preached this amazing sermon. But as they're walking out, Dallas is just singing a song on the way to the car. And John goes, Dallas, hey, uh, don't you want to know what I thought or how it went? He goes, why do I need to know that? I did my best. The rest is up to God. Let's go have lunch. You know, it's, and I love that, the idea that I can do my part. And, and, you know, I do it with and through God, and then I just leave the results up to God. I just move on and enjoy life. I think so many of you are carrying stuff today that you're just weighted down. You just kind of feel crushed and pressured and under this stress, under the expectations or under whatever load you're in. And that's why Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and crushed, beaten down by life. I want to give you a new way of living. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, my teaching, my way of life. For my way is easy and my way my burden is light so that's what we're saying this is all about learning to walk with jesus in a moment by moment always awareness that man i'm with god whatever i'm doing he's with me right here right now i do my best and the rest is up to him but then there's another aspect we call this other aspect of learning to walk with jesus in daily habits disciplines we call that they're historically called the spiritual disciplines and we're going to break into those today but here's the thing when, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, a lot of people in church world, they're like, ah! They think immediately, discipline, isn't that what we do when we get spanked? Wasn't that what happened? I mean, when my parents disciplined me, it was like I get put in my room or I got grounded or something. It's like this negative thing. Or, or discipline is like what you failed to have in January last year when you said I was going to lose 10 pounds and you'd, by in, you know, within 10 weeks, you would gain 10. Anyway, just like discipline, it's like, it's, a, it's kind of a, not a real pleasant word in church world. But here's the thing. The spiritual disciplines are not how one enters the kingdom of God. They're how one lives in it once you've entered. Because if you're thinking of the spiritual disciplines as a way to get God's favor, a way to get God to stop being angry at you or to forgive you or to look past some of the things you've done because I'm going to do some good things, I'm going to practice some of these things, then I can get God's favor. You've got it all wrong. You do not enter the kingdom of God through these practices. You enter the kingdom of God one and only way. Jesus said, I'm the way. It's by putting your faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it is by grace you've been saved. In other words, God just gave you something nobody deserved. He just offered you an experience of transformation and forgiveness. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. In other words, it's not your own faith. It is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. In other words, God said, Here's what, I'm going to invite you to the party, and you're not going to get to bring anything. It's, I'm, it's all from me. I'm going to give you the grace and forgiveness you need to cleanse your souls of all the sins and failures you've had in your past, present, and even the things you're going to do in your future. I'm going to give you the faith to trust me and believe in me and to follow me. And uh, you know what? Then I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to guide you through the journey. I mean, is that a good God or what? That is what God has offered. That's how we enter the kingdom, by placing our faith in God's substitutional gift of Jesus and what he did for us. But once we're in it, the purpose of these practices 
It's not to earn brownie points so when I get to heaven I get, you know, hey, my mansion's bigger, my crown is thicker, whatever. The point of the disciplines is to learn to live the way Jesus lived so we can experience life to the fullest. It's to learn to actually get the most out of life and contribute the most to the kingdom he's invited us into. So the purpose is to be continually freed and empowered by God to live the full and abundant life just like Jesus did. Donald S. Whitney says this, the people of God do not serve him in order to be forgiven, but because they are forgiven. Dallas Willard said this, God is not opposed to effort. He's just opposed to earning. In other words, yeah, you can work and do good things, but it's not to get God's favor. You already have that as a child of God. But it's from that. You can, you can work, but, but don't try to do that as earning God's love. You already have it. And I've tried this. I've tried this for years. And one of the greatest discoveries of my life is that I'm actually living my life from God's grace, not for it. I'm living out of what has already been done for me, and I don't have to earn it. I just get to live freely in it. And also, every time we start thinking about spiritual practices, you know, somebody kind of gets a sick feeling in your stomach because, you know, it's like you've had a bad experience with other people trying to cram their values and their disciplines on you. When I was a teenager, I came to discover life in Jesus and in a way that I hadn't as, as a child growing up. I mean, it became real to me. And we were in a youth group that was just really alive. And we got to hear all about the call of God on our lives and how we can make a full surrender to him. And God will use us in these powerful ways. And that actually, if we seek God's face, that he will allow us to participate with him in bending the culture of Western civilization towards revival. And we're all about that. And I remember as I was in church, I used to sit in the front row right up under the pastor because I'm in like, if God was going to break out in something, I want to be the first one to get it. I'm like, fire comes. I'm like, I'm in. You know, I, went, I wanted to get whatever was happening. I was like front row. I'm like, I'm going all in for Jesus. And there was another person at the end of the row, um, a hot little blondie named Lori. And as I looked down there, I'm like, well, at the time she was kind of brown, but it brown, brown her hair, but just kidding. No, she was a little, I was so enamored with her because like a woman after my own heart. She's like in it. I mean, she's wanting to pursue God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and she did. And over time, we got to be friends. And we like the, our friendship caught fire. And, and, and I realized that, man, she had a heart to truly know and walk with God. And, and as I was learning these things, the pastors would start teaching us about the disciplines and how to, how to walk you know, with God in all of these ways. And, and I don't know that I understood it. Maybe it wasn't presented quite this way, but it, was, it wasn't clear to me that you couldn't earn God's love and favor by doing these things. So I was working towards that all the time. I was try, trying to get God's favor and earn his love and attention. But, but what I discovered is that I got good at doing some of the practices. And so I was up every morning early before school praying and before I'd go to high school. And, and then, you know, we'd have those times where there'd be these overnighters we would just stay and pray all night long retreats and and taking your, your bible to class with you every day and putting it on your desk so people would ask you what's that and why do you have a bible you know because jesus lives you know it was like radical crazy I, I was like one of those crazy christians and annoying of course but but crazy and i was like jesus this is the woman for me she has a heart like and i was always trying to impress upon her the importance of these practices and Lori was already seeking God with all her heart, but it's interesting over time that I began to look at her life and start helping her 
with the disciplines. And I would show her more ways to come into alignment with the perfection of Jesus. And a person like, you know, like myself, of course. And I'm like, Lori, um, it, you are just so wrapped up in fashion. I mean, how many pairs of shoes does one woman need? I mean, this, it's 20, really? And like, isn't there like a limit? You're supposed to stop at a certain point? But it's like Lori had a different view of style and fashion, and I just didn't share it. Oh, that's all worldly. You don't need that. You just can do away with that. And so I was, try, was trying to help her become more godly. And all I did was, well, to be honest, we got married and fought for the first five years. Because she had an indomitable spirit, and I was helping her to learn to be dominated. And so, and to be funny, it's not really, but in the, in the early 70s and 80s, I mean, this was kind of, you know, the, the way we looked at life. And it was just funny that I just kept trying to help her. But at some point in our life, and it's probably during one of the times when we were having these all-nighters or these prayer services with youth, or we, we had kids staying at our house till 12 o'clock, midnight, 1 o'clock every night because we had the college students that stayed up all night. Then we got up early to be with the students who wanted to have early morning prayer, and, and Lori just wasn't as excited about early morning prayer as she should be. And so I had to remind her, this is where Jesus is. We're going to meet with him. We're going to bend culture towards revival. And, you know, and she's just like, yes, but I'm going to sleep too. You know, I, I have to sleep. And it's like at some point we just came to this realization. I came to a realization where she just kind of helped me understand. David, I'm going to love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I can't live under your yoke or your burden or your understanding of what it means to be the man of God. And, of course, my perspective and my perception was tainted by my zeal and my understanding of what God, it took to get God's favor. But the point is, we can never put our own yoke on somebody. We can never try to make somebody into our image. We can never try and guilt somebody or, or harness somebody else like, you should be doing these practices and you should be like, you're not a good Christian unless. But let's just put all that aside. Because the point of practicing these ways is not the practice. It's what you get out of this. The point is to become skillful in following Jesus in a way that it just unleashes the joy and satisfaction and, and the exuberance and celebration of life. It just is supposed to bring life to you. These disciplines or these methods, are, they're always a response to God's love. They're not a means to get his love. It's all about freedom. And the point of Bible reading is not to get good at Bible trivia quizzes so that you can, you know, stand up and tell, you know, the pastor where, where that verse is. And it's, it's not that. It's not to say, look how much Bible reading I do so everybody will be so impressed that you're so smart and you're so godly and so spiritual. The point is to be free. When Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. In other words, the closer you get to me, the freer you're going to live in life and feel in life. It's to be able to, to love God and to listen to God and to hear his voice and to follow him closely. It, it's basically, if, if you're starting to get self-righteous and proud because you're doing all of these, then for crying out loud, stop it. If this is turning into a harsh and ugly and mean-spirited person, then you're, stop. I was telling the staff this past week that when Jaden was little, he was going through a season where he's a little afraid at something at night. I remember coming in to pray with him one night. We always kind of got down with our kids, prayed at night before they go to bed, and was praying, and it was like, and it was like addressing the certain fear, and, and Jaden was like, well, let's, you know, okay, Jaden, let's pray for this. And so we prayed over it, and afterwards I said, so let's go to, it's time to go to night, night. And he's like, but Daddy, what? It's not walking. <laughs> 
still afraid. And she was still afraid. And as honestly, I'm looking at Christianity today. I'm like, if we're supposed to be the most joyful, life-filled people, it's not walking. You know, <laughs> something's wrong in our connection between us and God. And, and I think some of us, we're still trying to earn it and trying to make our way on our own strength. And, and Jesus said, I put the spirit inside of you to guide you and to unleash the life that is in you through the faith that you've stepped into. The point is to be free. Spiritual maturity is never defined by doing a bunch of practices. That's where things get distorted. It's always defined in terms of living the Jesus vision, becoming a joyful, loving person, not how committed am I and how smart am I and how spiritual am I, how much better am I than somebody else. It's how can these practices help me become rooted in the life of Jesus so that I'm really living the most abundant life possible. Donald S. Whitney continues. So while we cannot be godly without the practice of the disciplines, we can practice the disciplines without being godly if we see them as an end and not a means. The goal of all these things is to become more like Jesus, to become more aware of his, his presence and the power that is unleashed when we trust him and believe him, take him at his word and live in it. Another way to think about it is training versus trying. I've used this once before. Um, one of the spiritual mentors I use through books and stuff, John Ortberg, he wrote about this in his, one of his books. He talks about what Randall talked about this morning, the marathon runner. And he says, just assume that one day, and I'll personalize this, one day they come to me and as I'm getting my blood drawn for some of the tests that I'm having, and they said, David, we've got to talk to you. And they take me aside and they said, we've discovered that in your blood work and in our study of what's going on in you genetically, we've discovered that genetically you are predisposed to be one of the greatest marathon runners of all time. You have the physical framework, you, well, not presently, but you have the potential to have, you have the chemical makeup, you have the genetic makeup, you have the mental capacity, you can be one of the great all-time marathon runners. And so with this news, I get so excited that I'm made in this amazing way that I can be unreal in something. I, I can just be so incredible that I run out and I go to the, quickly to the store and I start buying all the equipment. And of course, there's not much. This is that little spandex suit. But anyway, you get your little spandex, you get your running shoes and socks and you get, you know, you get whatever jersey or stuff and you go. And so I, my first day out, I hit the track and I, I just take off and I am predisposed genetically. I am made to run marathons. And so I just go out to run a marathon and within 500 feet I fall down and cough up lung fluid because I, the problem is not that I can't do this. It's that I can't yet. The, the, the question is not am I capable. The question is, is this what you're trained to do? I could try all day long to run a marathon. And I don't care how genetically predisposed I am, I cannot do it. You are genetically, spiritually predisposed to live a life that is full and meaningful and rich and incredibly generous and kind and thoughtful and godly. You are predisposed because of the way that you, God has designed you and placed the Spirit in you. As a follower of Jesus, you are, you are predisposed to greatness. But that doesn't mean that you can just run out today and lay your hands on everybody and they'll be healed. That means that you have to learn to train yourself from step one. As Randall said, you have to take the first step and then the next and then the next. 
And for me, it would maybe mean that the first day, I run out, I go out and I, I run a quarter of a mile. So I run down to the end of the road. And then I call Lori, come get me, I can't make it home, you know. And then the next day, maybe I make it down and I walk back. Maybe the next day, I'm able to make the whole loop. Maybe in a, within a few, day four, I just crash because I'm, you know, recovering from three days of running. But after a while, I'm actually beginning to live into my potential. Because I'm training myself in the ways I'm already predisposed to excel, but I just have to get myself all coordinated and my capacity expanded. I think some of you are meant to do amazing things in this community, in this, in this valley, in this country, in this generation, but you will not get there because you're trying rather than training. You're trying to accomplish everything in one fell swoop when you need to take steps, day by day steps, to train yourself in the great things of God. And I think that 1 Timothy, this is where we learn <clears throat> what Paul was saying. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Don't, don't waste your time with silly things. Instead, train yourselves to be godly. Train yourselves. Because physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. The more you grow, you, you, the more it becomes all about this concept, an arranged life. Folks, this whole thing is all about arranging your life around practices that will actually unleash the potential that God has put in you. Unleash the gifts, the vision, the calling. It's about learning to arrange our lives around practicing habits or patterns that Jesus practiced so that we can have the life that Jesus had. One more thing. How do I know what practices will help me live the ways of Jesus? I mean, at different, everybody's different. Our temperaments, our temptations, current sins we're struggling with, our, our circumstances. Different things will be helpful at different seasons. So historically, um, theologians have looked at this in two different ways. In the way of sins and challenges, they call them the sins of commission, which is when I commit a sin. I do something that offends God. It's against God's plan for my life. And it's called a sin of commission, like when I lust or lie or hurt somebody or kill somebody or, you know, run over somebody in traffic. It's that sins, sins of commission. Then there are sins of omission, and that's when I'm not living up to my potential. There's something that I'm omitting from my life that I should be practicing, like loving my neighbor or forgiving an enemy or taking that extra thing I have and just being generous with it to the poor. So there are sins of commission and omission. <clears throat> And now, basically, there are kinds of spiritual practices that will address those challenges that each of us have. So, for instance, two basic spiritual practices in life, two different categories of practices. First of all, they're the disengagement practices, disengagement disciplines. And that's when I literally disengage from something. I stop doing something. Um, I pull back. This is a practice where I'm withdrawing. Practice of abstinence is when I'm not doing stuff. And this generally helps me with sins of commission. So if I have a problem, say, I gossip. Well, the sin that I'm struggling with can be strengthened, or the muscles of my spiritual life can be strengthened if I practice maybe the discipline of silence or meditation. Because really, um, that's where I learn how to balance that. How about practice of engagement? 
Engagement practices are active things when, when I'm strengthening my doing muscles. So these are things like um, study, worship, prayer, celebration. Disengagement practices are like Sabbath, silence, solitude, fasting, secrecy, and all those. We'll talk about those more in a moment. So now let's get into the practical. What are ways, some things that we can practice? What are some things that you can actually go out and start doing that will start unleashing, training you for the life you dream of? So today I'm going to talk about some disengagement disciplines because typically in church we talk about the engagement. Well, let's pray. Everybody should read their Bibles. It should be, you know, this and this. I'm going to talk about, first of all, a disengagement practice because here's the thing. I think many of you in this room could listen to some of this and just go home completely devastated that there's just no way you can do some of these things right now in your life. To be honest, because of the way most of us are living, even our staff, what we were talking about this past week, I discovered that even in our staff, there are certain disciplines that are just off the table because our lives are so complex, they're so overpacked, they're so marginless that we can't even squeeze in another thing if we wanted to, and we want to. So the first practice I'm going to talk about is the practice of simplicity, the discipline of simplicity. And basically, simplicity is removing destructive, distracting, unwise, or just idolatrous things from my life. In other words, if God is supposed to be the center and I put something at work or uh, my girlfriend or my, you know, my children or money or something else in that, if you've done that, it's removing those, those things from the center and putting God at the center again. But simplicity basically is I'm abstaining from things that may be siphoning off my energy to lesser things. It's, it's kind of a way of prioritizing by stopping whatever I'm doing that's taking the energy, the passion, the giftings, and using them unwisely. For example, um, I may be using money to gratify my own need for people's approval. For people to think, oh, he's so cool, look at his car, or look at the way he dresses, or look at that attention and status. Paul wrote to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then Paul goes on to say, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Wait, what does he say? If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul has reached a place in his life where it's, when it comes to this abstinence thing, he's like, hey, I've learned to do without. So he practices simplicity. I don't need all that stuff. I don't need it all. We all want to be content, but I'm, I'm fairly convinced, deep in our souls, we really believe that contentment, we won't be content until we have what we want. And when we have it, then I'll be content. I'm not content because I don't have that car, that wife, whatever. I don't have that house, and once I get that pool or whatever, I'll be content. The joke is on us because once we get that thing, then the, the line moves, and that's the new thing and the new person, the new whatever. And it, the interesting thing is I have to learn to, to be content, to die to certain things, to have that. So the practice of simplicity is <clears throat> separating myself from externals. I remember reading about a monastic <clears throat> community, that's where the monks live, and where they practice simplicity. And when a guest would show up, they would show them to their simple little monastic, minimalistic Spartan room with nothing in it, and the monk would say to them as they walk out, <clears throat> now if there's anything at all that you need, anything that you want, just let us know, and we'll show you how to get along without it. <laughs> in other words, <clears throat> all this stuff, you, you've got... You've got food and a bed, and you've got a, a place to sleep, clothing. What else do you need? 
This idea of simplicity that we've complicated our life by, we have so many things we're driving at all the time. Can I just tell you, one of the people I learned this from was my grandfather, Stahlberg. Just a little, powerful German guy that his, his 15 children in his family, and he was one of the most happy, content men I've ever met in my life. And the fact of the matter is, he was so simple in what he expected. He just realized that he was okay with whatever God, he worked hard, he worked very hard, he provided for his family, but it was never wrapped up in the esteem of others or what others thought or in his possessions. Remember one year, Lori and I asked him, Grandpa, what can we get you for Christmas? How about, how about a sweater? He goes, a sweater? I, I already have a sweater. Why would I need another one? I'm like, I have 16 sweaters. I can't even find them. I got so many sweaters. And you know, he's like, he just has one. The idea here is this, folks, simplicity. You've got to make room for the activity of God in your life. You've got to spread things out. You've got to create some margin because if you're living to the end of every day, every moment, every hour, if you just don't even have enough energy left to give to anything significant, you've got to stop. You've got to simplify. You've got to start. And your practice would be taking your calendar and just checking off some things that you're just going to say no to. Maybe reducing. Your, I, I'm not going to work any more than X number of hours in a week. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to just call it quits and I'm going to go home. Regardless of what's going on, I'm just going to say no. Because no matter what, there will always be another need, another emergency, whatever. Simplicity. I'm just going to learn how to live with less so that I can experience the more. Less really is more when it comes to these things. I've got to make room for the good things of God. I'm going to simplify. Second one is this, solitude. <clears throat> solitude is where I deliberately withdraw from people and work and busyness just to be with God. John Ortberg says this, solitude is where I eliminate all the scaffolding in my life to see what remains when it's just me and God. I remove all the other stuff just to see, and it's just for a moment, just for a, a short time maybe for you. Solitude is when you just step away from all of the mess, all the crowds. Jesus did this. As a matter of fact, we're learning to live in his ways. Well, here's one of his ways. When he was getting ready to launch his ministry, Bible says he went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights of solitude. Not asking you to start there, 40 days and 40 nights, but the Spirit drove him into that moment of solitude. Mark 1.35 tells us early in the morning, Jesus got up and withdrew to a solitary place where he could be alone with God. Many times in Scripture, we find Jesus going to a quiet place, a solitude place, a place alone. It's being alone. So, like, you're, like, terrified about, what do I do when I'm alone? What happens when I'm alone? Well, that's the beauty of it. I mean, you get to come into touch with your spirit again, with your own soul, with your own being, with your own essence. We, we can pray. You can meditate. You can study. You can do a lot of things. You cannot do those things. You cannot do anything. I don't want to give you a rule, a hard and fast. I want you to experience this by experimentation. Try it. What works? I don't engage in business or relationships or conversation when I do this. I just get alone. And, and folks, I've been practicing this more and more, and this is bringing life to me. This past week, I had to get away for a little bit just to get some of the sanity back and to still my soul. And I'm telling you, for me, hearing running water <clears throat> or being in a place where you can see a sunrise or a sunset or just this, this silence for a little while, the solitude, it, it's what is there between me and God becomes more visible. And, and I remember how good God is. And here's what I've discovered. When I take the moments for solitude, 
I come away from, with, from that experience as I look at God's great universe and his great world. I, be, I just feel like I'm God's beloved. I'm reminded that God is crazy about me. And he took me just as I was, a mess who thought I knew everything, and he, and he absolutely humbled me and started me over, and he gave me a brand new life. I'm just like, I just love it. When I get to be with God, I'm his beloved. I'm not trying to be heroic and don't start with, like, I'm going to start 30 days or I'm going to, a whole day off. What I'm, maybe just start with 15 minutes of solitude. Just maybe when you get home from work, don't go rushing right in or when you get off. Maybe just 15 minutes of silence and just by yourself. Just gather your thoughts and just kind of be in the presence of God and bring yourself back to center and just let that feeling that God is with you and it all is well with your soul permeate your being. Solitude. Remember, these practices are about freedom. If it's not bringing you freedom, joy, and contentment, then it's not helpful. I'm telling you, learn some of these, practice some of these, try them. Next one is silence. The psalmist said, be still and know that I'm God. There's something about quiet that's unsettling. It's disruptive. Try it for a moment. There's something about being still, being quiet, and discovering what God is up to. There's something about bringing our soul to a place of peace and just centeredness that it just kind of unleashes something inside of me. And again, I'm, I'm not a real emotional, crazy kind of person, but I'm a very practical person, but this really helps me to be silent. Ancient wisdom said there are basically two dimensions to silence. One is I just don't speak. And I find this interesting. The reason we do this is because it's so hard to talk without sinning. I've learned that the more I talk, the more I sin. And, and it just creeps into things without even maybe knowing or intending it. It's interesting. Christian psychologist William Backus cites one study where he says that people deceive. The studies have revealed a lot of information about this, a lot of studies. People deceive, lie, or misuse information an average of 200 times a day when they're in a public setting or a public uh, kind of job. We, we spin, we hype, we twist, we maneuver. We use information with partial revelation to get what we want. So in silence, I learn not to use words to twist or use or get what I want to manipulate. So the first one is I just don't talk. The second is that I remove myself from the noise, the constant drone of loud and busy I think some of us, man, we're so overstimulated. It's funny. We complain about there's so much noise and noise pollution. But I'm just curious. Don't raise your hand here. But I'm just curious how many of you, when you get into your car, first thing you do is turn on the radio or your Spotify or whatever. you got to have music. What, how many of you, I wonder, Lori and I were talking about this this past week, and it just cracks us up. But how many people, when they get home, have to have the TV on? Did you know that, that, that this is actually funny? With studies, surveys show that the number one reason people say that they have the TV on in their homes, background noise. Oh, we hate noise, but we just create it everywhere we go. We have to have it. We don't like <clears throat> certain kinds of noise, but we fill our lives with noise. There's a reason we want noise. It's actually a huge body of research about this. Just confirms what wise spiritual writers have said for eons. This is what one author said, when left to itself, this is what his research revealed, when left to itself, the mind turns to bad thoughts, 
trivial plans, sad memories, and worries about the future. Disorder, confusion, and decay are the default option of the human consciousness. That's terrifying. And what he's basically saying is, when you left to just let your mind wander, it will definitely, on average, go to a negative space. Minds go to negative places. That's why the Apostle Paul said, let your sinful um, he talks about not letting your sinful nature control your mind because that leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind because that leads to life and peace. This is what he's talking about. Bad thoughts, trivial plans, sad memories, worries about the future, the normal stuff that the mind is captured by. In silence, we have time to actually find out what's going on in our lives. What am I worried about? What's stressing me out and why? Where is God in this equation? How much am I trusting him, following him, tr obeying him so that I can find a way through this? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the kind of mind that just doesn't require a lot of noise and distraction to be at peace? That's the Jesus kind of life. Maybe you experiment with this this week, and maybe, you're, maybe your experiment with silence would be something like this. You turn off the sound when you get in your car. I know it's crazy. What? You maybe just allow yourself an evening with no television in the background. Maybe you do something even more ridiculous. You shut off your computer or your apps and you don't look at any of your social media for an entire afternoon so that your mind can come once again to who, who am I really? What's going on in my soul? What is God up to? How can I participate? Next, study. And this is one that is actually a practice of engagement to help balance with these others. When you disengage, what do I fill that space with? Here's the thing. Study, reading, you can use different metaphors, different words, but here's the thing. It's getting something in that actually brings life. It's putting something in that actually brings hope. It's getting a perspective on life that's bigger than yours, beyond yours, so that you can actually be, realize, man, I'm just, me too. And when I read the scriptures, I look at these guys and I actually crack up. I'm like, are you kidding me? What a nuthead. What were you thinking? And I'm like, me too. I mean, this is, I could be a Bible guy, right? Because I've done so many stupid things that if they wrote it down, it's like people wouldn't believe it. It's like, really? Well, some of the greatest, most highly used people in scripture were some of the greatest, you know, like problem solve, I mean, creators, when it came to living the ways of God, and yet God loved them, led them, and used them. And I'm like, man, when I read the scriptures, it is, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Scripture writers say, meditate it all day long, and your mind, your heart will be renewed. This is what happens when our minds get filled with junk. You have to go somewhere to have that mind renewed. That's why the Bible says, man, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to have information to process how good God is, what God's up to. And this, this goal of studying is not to be filled with information for some Bible trivia quiz at church. It's not so you can look smart. It's to have a new mind, which automatically tends to lead you to positive thoughts, to prayerful thoughts, to hopeful thoughts. When stress and situations and people try to draw you off to hopelessness and despair. It just brings you back to that place. The final thing, secrecy. Secrecy. And the way this was practiced by the, by the ancients 
is that they would find a way in which they wanted to express maybe generosity or kindness or love, and they would just tell no one. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. It's abstaining from the need to look good, to have somebody else evaluate and applaud my deeds. It's doing it just so only God knows. This is crazy fun stuff. This practice is so important for people who wrestle with approval addiction, with look at me-itis, with I hope that people are impressed, I hope that I'm making a good impression, letting people know I'm cool and look at the stuff I've done. Jesus uses examples like, man, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're generous, when you do something. When you pray, go into your closet so that people can't see it. When you fast, don't mess up your hair and look funny so people are like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm fasting. And as the band comes right now to wrap us up, I just want to tell you that one of these things is so cool. Um, just when Shane got up last week and talked about how he's a, this, this college kid that's just scraping by on, you know, top ramen and everything, and somebody came and offered to pay for his wedding secretly, <laughs> that's it, man. I'm like, yes, that's it. I'm thinking of, honestly, somebody, I, I got a phone call from a nutritionist um, after my sickness, and they said, hey, uh, somebody recommended we call you, and they want to pay for your visit to the doctor and your, you know, your supplements to kind of get you into a place of health again. And I'm like, who? They're like, they can't say. I can't say because they don't want me to say it's a secret. And I'm like, you're kidding. And so I've been going to this doctor and getting these supplements and having my, you know, my body renewed and my energy restored. And it's like, it was a total gift from somebody that just said, like, I just want to bless them. I'm like, man, where does, God comes up with the most crazy ways of moving in our world when we're just willing to let him get the credit and the glory. And we're just willing to step in and secretly, and for you, maybe the practice would be this week, anonymously. When somebody reveals they have a problem instead of, I have the answer, I can fix that. Just secretly go home and do something to answer that need. When you see a problem or something, you, you see a person that is in desperate need, a poor person, you just, you honor them by giving them something that you get no credit for so that they will just turn to God and thank God that he's a good God and he's taking care of them and he sees them. It's a crazy practice. We're going to go into a few more in the weeks to come, but I just, I just want to have you bow your heads with me for a moment because what we're going to do right now is I want the Holy Spirit, I just want the Spirit of God to speak to you about this. So God, as we, as we close today, there's so many things in my life that I, I just want to bring into alignment with you. And I'm so grateful that you don't ask me to run the marathon all at once. You don't ask me to be perfect and just to do everything right. You're, you're leading me into a practice, a way of living that actually brings life to me and, and the capacity to do more and more and more in your kingdom and for your glory. And what the world really needs right now is not more politicians or educators or people to do what we've already had done for generations and generations. It's for people to actually be in walking in the ways of Jesus so that we unleash the power of this God of ours into the world and your kingdom would come and people's lives would be impacted and changed. God, we want this so badly. For people to be healed, for the sick to be made whole, for the broken to be restored, for marriages to be put back together. God, this is what we dream of. And I pray we'd be a church that walks in these ways so that we would have this power unleashed so that our world could be changed. Lead us, we pray, this week as we learn to, moment by moment, day by day, walk in step with your spirit and practice reigning in the ways of Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, folks, stand with me. We're going to send you out with a song. We're going to worship together, and then we're going to wrap up. So let's sing together.
So may you be blessed this week as we attempt to put these things into practice. We love you guys. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a good one.